Welcome to the Ephesians 3 podcast. Here you can listen to the student talks given at Ephesians 3, a weekly fellowship where students at Newman Parish in Columbia, Missouri, speak on topics of faith and experience fellowship and life-giving community. Based on the passage of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, the ministry seeks to lead students deeper in the Catholic faith through community, conversation, and prayer. We hope you enjoy listening to this episode. I am a senior studying secondary education, um, language arts, and I am super excited to be here. I'm especially excited to be here tonight because I was telling people earlier, I feel like I got to run at the Ephesians 3 gauntlet. My first ever E3 talk was given on my front porch on Instagram Live when we got sent home. My second one was in the church, and I get to finally come up into the NPR where I feel like I really belong. Um, So I also have to thank, I promise a thank you to Rem for holding my books while I try to type quotes out of the Theology of the Body into the talk, Um, and all the other people who helped me prepare, because this is going to be really big. Um, And I really like some ethos, so I want to get started pretty clearly, Um, first by introducing my sources, and then by introducing myself and why I'm here and why I care about any of this. So I obviously have my Bible up here. I have the Catechism, which if you are unfamiliar, is essentially a comprehensive book that lines out our beliefs. So it's not law, it's not necessarily action, it is our core beliefs as Catholics. And I also have this big book um, that is by Pope St. John Paul II called, that we generally refer to as Theology of the Body, that is a collection of sermons that he gave on the human body, on the social relationship between men and women, and some further explanation on those sermons. So we'll be talking out of all three of those tonight. But now who am I, and why am I here, and why does any of this matter to me? Well, at one point, I was a seventh grade girl who had a big group of guy friends. Um, I loved them dearly. They gave me the best perspectives on life, and they had the greatest sense of humor I'd ever known at that point in my life. I loved them all dearly, and they took care of me really well. But that seventh grade girl stood in a Dairy Queen with one of her best female friends and got told, well, we know you're only friends with all those guys because you're stringing them along. And I had to go home and ask my mom what stringing someone along meant. Then I was a high school girl who finally had a strong male friendship again in her life. Um, He and I talked all the time. We talked about our day. We texted a lot. And my girls told me, don't text him that much. He'll start to think other things. Don't text him that much. He obviously likes you. And I was like, no, no. We're best friends. Everything's fine. And me being oblivious, got asked out, said no, and thought, That's okay. Our friendship is stronger than this. And then he dropped off the face of the earth a little bit. And now I'm a college student, and I'm a woman who loves especially to ask priests for their definition of chaste boundaries and romantic relationships. Because something I've learned is that it's such a complex topic that if you ask eight different priests, you will get eight slightly different variations on the response. We understand our bodies and those Um, connections differently, and it comes down to something that's much deeper and harder to explain. So I said that word chastity a little bit now, and I want to make sure that we're all on the same page in defining what chastity is before we go into that and clear it deeper. So the catechism definition of chastity includes this quote. Chastity presupposes respect for the rights of the person, in particular the right to receive information and education that respect the moral and spiritual dimensions of human life. 
Chastity is a moral virtue. It is also a gift from God, a grace, a fruit of spiritual effort. Chastity is intended to protect the natural, uh, the natural purpose of our bodies, what the theology of the body refers to as the spousal nature, the spousal purpose of our bodies. Chastity is intended to protect those special gifts that we are given by God, protect our future vocation. And the culture of purity that we surround that belief and that understanding with is intended to help us remain accountable and hold each other accountable for those gifts. To learn to respect the sanctity of our body, the sanctity of sex, the sanctity of all of our relationships and how we use our bodies in it. But tonight, this is not a dating talk. This is not a marriage talk. If you thought it was going to be, I think I tried to clear that up beforehand. This ain't it. I don't feel qualified to talk about those things. I do feel qualified to talk about friendship because I have had really wonderful, strong friendships in my life. I was really excited to find a friendship paragraph in the catechism. I didn't think I'd find that. I didn't think it was serious enough for that, but apparently it is. Catechism says the virtue of chastity blossoms in friendship. It shows the disciple how to follow and imitate him who has chosen us as his friends, who has given himself totally to us and allows us to participate in his divine estate. Chastity is a promise of immortality. Chastity is expressed notably in friendship with one's neighbor. Whether it develops between persons of the same or opposite sex, friendship represents a great good for all. It leads to spiritual communion. Our friendships, as we hear time and time again, can be centered on Christ, can lead us to communion with the church. They are important. They are critical. They teach us. They lead us. They build us into something stronger. They're really important. And yet, they become complicated because of what we talked about before. So we're going to talk about one of my favorite things in the whole wide world right now. We're going to talk a little tiny bit about love languages. Um, I love them a lot. If you're not familiar and you want to talk more about it later, find me. If you think you have a sixth love language, find me later and I'll tell you why you're wrong. Um, so just to make sure everyone is on level playing field, if we're unfamiliar, we're going to take a quick poll. Um, if you think one of your top two of the five, if you're familiar, is physical touch, raise your hand. One of your top two. Beautiful. If you think one of your top two of the five is quality time, raise your hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you think one of your top two of the five is words of affirmation, raise your hand. Yes. Beautiful. If you think one of your top two is gifts. And lastly, acts of service. Beautiful. They are all beautiful, right? The love languages teach this idea of love languages and the psychological understanding of how we give and receive is, is rooted in something very good. That is not rooted in church teaching. It's just a really good psych example. Um, Want to clarify that. But there's something so beautiful about understanding that none of these ways of giving and receiving is lesser, is better, is, is unworthy, is worthy. They're all meaningful ways to pursue and to show love, including with our friends. And how we love is relative. So the church definition of love. The Catholic Church's definition of love is to will the good of the other. That is clear. That is across the board. But how we do that does not look the same. How I love my mother is different than how I love my friends, how I love my roommate, how I love creation, and then how I love God. These are all very different loves, but they're all willing good. So I want you, as we enter into this idea of the culture that we have surrounding chastity, keeping love pure, keeping love chaste, I want you to imagine an encounter. It'll look a little different and feel a little different for everybody. 
this weekend I had the privilege of going on Awakenings. So I got to take a lovely 90 minute bus ride on five, six hours of sleep over the last 48 hours. Um, I've done this several times now. So I want you to imagine you're on the bus with me and I'm sitting in the seat in front of you with my best female friend. We're both zonked. Um, and she leans her head on my shoulder, passes out for 80 minutes. We're comfortable, we're peaceful, we're resting. This to me is physical touch. This to me is allowing her to use my body as a pillow for rest, safe. I've never had anyone question that looking at it. I want you to replace my best female friend with my best male friend. And I want you to ask yourself, you will not have to raise your hands for this one, if you feel differently looking at that image. If the answer is no, that's okay. If the answer is no, I want you to think about where the boundary would be to you that would make you look at it differently. Where would we have to be? What would it have to look like? Where is that physical boundary? If you do look at those two images differently, that's also okay, I'm not judging you. I want you to think about why. Do you feel like we're endangering each other? Do you feel like we're tempting each other? What is in your head that's making those things feel different? This is not me passing judgment on either opinion. Because what comes out of having male-female friendships, aside from that beauty and goodness that I talked about earlier, whether it's the humor, the teaching, the quality time, just the beauty of having good friends, we also develop a lot of fears. The first is of objectification, because in the theology of the body, um, there's a large chunk of the book of all of the sermons dedicated to analyzing this Bible verse from Matthew. Whoever looks at a woman to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. But the theology of the body in Pope St. John Paul makes a very big deal of adding a very specific clarifying bracketed phrase. So it looks like this. Whoever looks at a woman to desire her in a reductive way has already committed adultery with her in his heart. When we reduce each other to nothing more than objects to pleasure, this is where the problem begins. It says, desire in a negative sense arises when a man or a woman fails to see the full attractiveness of the other persona and reduces it to the attractiveness of sexual pleasure alone when we fail to see the full attractiveness of the other persona. Why do we even spend time with our friends? Why do we care about these people? What are they to us? They are teachers, they are leaders, they are support, they are comfort, they are kindness, they are joy. These are things that attract us to each other. When we reduce a person to one thing, to one object, to sexual pleasure alone, which is what we fear in males and females, that separation, that spousal nature of the body that is so good and beautiful and sanctified in its own way, but also very special to one person and one person. We recognize that we are failing to see the full attractiveness of the beauty of our friendships, the beauty of everything that draws us to each other, everything else that a man is to a woman, everything else that a woman is to a man, all of those other things on that list are so important. Because we're trained very early on to think of ourselves as sexual beings. And you might be like, no, no, no. I was raised in a household where we didn't watch anything that had this. No, no, no. We didn't listen to this kind of thing. No, no, no. I wasn't exposed to that young. 
you were. It's really unfortunate that we have to in our society because I want you to think about the first time that, especially young women, but I'm sure also this applies to men, you were told that if you wore a certain thing, people would look at you differently. People would look at you in a reduced way or people would pay the wrong kind of attention to you. Everybody, I want you to think about the first time you were taught stranger danger or safe touch. The first time you were told there are people in the world, adults in the world, who wanted to reduce you to nothing more than an object. You did not see their full goodness in you. The first time we are taught these things, we are taught that we are sexual creatures, that there is a nature of our body that is intended for a certain direction. And this training is important to protect us, to keep us safe, to help us build that purity and that understanding of chastity very early on in a very good and safe way. But it starts to affect our thinking. It starts to affect the way we think of ourselves and others because the first thing we start to think of is that we are threatening to another person or to ourselves. That if we dress a certain way, there is a danger to the other person that if we spend time alone together with someone of the opposite sex, any time alone together or any time where we are in the same apartment together or any time late at night, we are putting ourselves in a heightened state of danger to our, our purity in a heightened state of danger. We start to develop these fears and they come, like I said, from a very good place, this place of understanding chastity, of understanding how much we are worth, of understanding the goodness and the sanctity of our body. But it's when we take them to the extreme and we say, no time alone with this person. No time getting to know each other. No time with these friends. No emotional sharing at all. That we lose the full attractiveness of the other person. We lose all the joy and the teaching that they have for us. There's another fear that develops, and that is the fear of misperception. I actually hear this a lot of times from my male friends that one of their biggest fears that comes out of purity culture is the fear of complimenting a woman. That if they tell me I look nice today, I'm going to take that as some sort of con. I'm going to take that as they asking, they're asking something more of me. When really, I might just look very nice today. <laughs> There's a fear of going too far. There's a fear that they're asking for something that they're not really asking for. And women, we feel this too. I feel this too. Maybe not all of us. Um, we just tend to hear it from the other side. We have fear of oversharing, of making ourselves vulnerable to the other because we're afraid that we're going to be taken in this reduced way. And all of these fears, all of these things that we're afraid of taking that step too far, because there is a step too far, there are steps too far, leads us to a fear of encountering shame and discomfort, leads to a fear of having this conversation. I told some people earlier today that I have never been afraid of giving a talk in my life until this week, until this time. I've never been afraid of getting up and talking to people, but I was scared that I was going to mess it up. I was scared that I was going to take it the wrong direction, scared that I was going to misquote, miscite, misunderstand. But I think we need to start the conversation. Because when we don't have the conversation, when we leave all of this up in the air, we take it to extremes. Women, we leave it to the men to figure us out, to deal with it, to take care of their own issues, and then come approach us when they're ready. Or men leave it to the women to figure out how to be, how to present themselves, how to do all of this in a way that is best to, to protect them. We can't leave it to each other separately. We have to do this together. We said at the beginning, the catechism said that friendship can lead us towards spiritual communion. We need friendship. We need relationship to lead us towards spiritual communion. So 
what do we do about all these fears? I wish I could tell you the real resolution, but I do have some ideas on steps that we can take together on how to live purity well together. Um, so first thing we build is a culture of self-awareness. In the Theology of the Body, um, JP2 says that every moral good is a manifestation of purity. Everything that we do that is good is a manifestation of that purity that we are given, of that God-given gift that is so beautiful and true. And so we create a culture where we learn by doing more than taking a love languages quiz that we found online, how we feel loved, what makes us feel truly loved, not just what makes us good, feel good, not just what brings us pleasure, but what makes us feel known and seen as people in a good and pure way. And also what makes us not feel loved. I have friends that hate physical touch from anybody, woman to woman, anybody. They just don't like it, they don't feel safe, they don't feel loved. I am terrible, for one, at receiving words of affirmation. That's a personal thing. Trust issue. I don't like. That wasn't one. That one wasn't a joke. Okay. Um, um, and that's like a very real thing for me. That my friends know that they can give it to me, but that I might really struggle with it. And then when we set boundaries, because we know where our lines are, that you find people and you keep them in your life that respect those boundaries, that understand where your purity is, that understand what chastity is to you, that how you feel loved does have a line because it was also how you feel pure, how you feel connected to God. That you find people and you keep them in your life that make you feel that you are truly loved and that you are truly able to choose. I don't want to answer it. That might be two. Yeah, next one. <laughs> Sorry, I skipped that. Um, the other thing we have to build is an understanding that we're not still just doing whatever we want because it, once again, feels good or because we want to, because we feel like it. Um, but the primary purpose of these boundaries is to maintain chastity, but the secondary purpose of these boundaries is to understand what having a conversation looks like. That we grow together, that we grow into this conversation, into this understanding together with men and with women, with female friendships to each other, with male friendships to each other, but also in community. Because we also have to accept the natural growth and change in relationships. That, I don't know about you all, but in my ideal world, my God willing, future spouse is going to be my best friend. And where do I get that if not beginning with a friendship, with not root, if not rooted in friendship? How do we grow from something if we're too afraid of taking the risk? So I encourage you to think about that if you worry about getting too close to a friend, about suddenly having a different feeling for a friend and wanting to explore that. We build that culture of actually communicating the boundary of actually saying, listen, I'm interested in pursuing this. I'm interested in a different type of relationship with you and I wanna talk about it. But valuing the friendship that is at the core and not dropping off the face of the earth, it doesn't go well. Understanding that that friendship is the core that is leading us to communion and that if we do choose to move forward, if we do choose to accept that natural growth and that understanding of each other, that that can also be beautiful. I want to close with two quotes I found um, that meant a lot to me. The first is a Mother Teresa quote that says, a clean heart is a free heart. A free heart can love Christ with an undivided love in chastity, convinced that nothing and nobody will separate it from his love. When we remain pure and we have friendships and relationships that keep us that way, that encourage us in that, that keep us accountable in that, but that still show us love, we are free to be united with Christ. We are free to be unafraid. We are free to love and to grow together. 
we are free to understand that as long as we are following, that as long as we are acting in that, no one's taking us away from Christ. The second is by our very own St. John Henry Newman, and it says, Purity prepares the soul for love, and love confirms the soul in purity. We act in love to better understand our purity, to better understand that God-given gift, that cleanliness of the soul, that desire, that understanding. And that love then teaches us more about purity, and that purity then allows us to love better. It's a beautiful cycle, really. And with all of that understanding, I want to close in a prayer um, to lift up our relationships, to list, lift up our friendships, um, to lift up and offer up our fears. Um, because I know I didn't answer every question tonight. I know I didn't fix it. <laughs> um, I know that these things all still exist and touch all of us in like a deep way. Um, so we're going to pray together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for our friendships, for the relationships you've given us, for the people you've put in our lives to lead us closer to you. Help us every day to remember that you did not create us as a threat to each other, that you did not create us for temptation, that those things are things of a fallen world that we are intended to live in community with each other and with you. Help us every day to remember that we, des that we are worthy of freedom, that in you, in the purity you have given us, we can be free, that we can be comfort and kindness and love for others, that we are worthy of giving love in every way, of protecting each other, of giving of ourselves to each other and that we are also worthy of receiving in the ways that we understand to be of you, that we are worthy of receiving your love, your pure, chaste, wonderful love from each other as well. We lift these prayers to you through the intercession of our mother Mary, our best and finest model of purity and chastity. As we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, Blessed art thou, woman, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen.